0: AT&T Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for AT&T
1: Threat Track.
2: Dan, I understand you have an interesting story for us today.
1: Uh, yes, it's a story about a botnet that was hijacked um, to replace pieces of the malware with humorous gifs uh, or gifs. I'm not sure how you pronounce it correctly. Uh, So what happened? Uh, So there's some security researchers who observed um, that for the Emotet botnet um, Usually it's the botnet where you get like emails that ask you to click on a link or open up a Word document um, And usually get some sort of like a a, you know malware sample out of that So they noticed that clicking on some of those URLs that you would normally get uh, from the botnet you actually instead of getting the payload you would get like a little, uh, like a meme video about a hacker or something funny that, that looks uh, awkward. Uh, so the security researchers they looked at this a little bit more, and what they found is that um, in all of the daily campaigns, about a, a quarter of the campaigns uh, had this behavior that basically someone was replacing the malware, um, uh, the malware with these uh, with these gifts. Um, And it was happening just a few minutes uh, in between when the botnet was becoming operational. Um, It's not known who's doing this, uh, but it seems that it's a creative way to solve the, uh, I guess, the botnet problem or all these, um, I guess, weekly spamming campaigns uh, that happen. Um, It's uh, it's definitely humorous, but it opens up a few questions I'd love to hear uh, your guys' feedback on about, vigilantism, um, active defense, and other things where, you know, somebody might have decided to do this for good, um, but somebody else might come in and use a similar technique for something uh, bad or malicious. So, wondering what you guys think about this.
2: Well, uh, it is really a little scary, honestly, that somebody <laughs> honestly went in, because you can imagine it's an opportunity to hijack the botnet, obviously, for in this case it's humor, but obviously it could be for other purposes as well. Um, I I think that there's a lot of boredom out there in the world today. Um, People just don't have the normal outlook that they have and so maybe just someone thought that this would be something somewhat amusing, but it does have some um, ramifications that are are, uh, maybe upsetting
0: yeah I mean I, I how do you uh how do you not uh at least give some kudos to the the hackerman picture that they're they're sending out i mean uh that picture with that uh with that mullet uh that's classic so <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah major props to who whoever picked out what pictures they were gonna send out and now you've got folks out there that are potentially you know may have been fooled, you know, so they were actually sent these, these payloads, in, whether it was an email or whatever, and now when they, were, when they actually opened it up, instead of being you know, haunted by the fact that they may have clicked something and now their files may have been encrypted and, and you know, everything that we've seen that uh, comes, uh, the bad things that come with you know, uh, getting fooled with malware, um these people are happily at least presented some picture that they kind of chuckle about and then probably wipe you know wipe the sweat off their off their brow realizing that they just escaped one right so that to me is the interesting part is that there is somebody out there and you know again you know you know we call them a vigilante or i don't know what we call these people but we've seen it in the past in terms of you know these people who come out and decide like hey you know what i'm going to do something good here Um, And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to put this thing out there. I'm going to completely rewrite this thing so that people, when they do get fooled by it, it actually doesn't do anything.
2: I was, like, wondering why 25 percent? Like, if you're going to be good, if you're going to be good, why not be all the way good? What was it? What was it about... The other seventy five percent. I also thought that was kind of an interesting twist.
1: I, I feel like it has something to do with the way they're they're doing the replacement. So there's a couple of ways. So first of all, probably the visibility of who or like this vigilante into the botnet is probably limited to about twenty five percent as compared to the researchers who discovered it. So, they probably don't know the different places that they they need to do the replacement. Maybe they only know about a quarter of them. I guess that would be one way. And the second way might be the technique they're using in order to do the replacement might have something to do with um, vulnerabilities on the website where they're doing the replacement. And perhaps only 25 percent of the websites are vulnerable in that way. Um, I, I suspect that that might be the real reason. I think this vigilante, was probably would want to do 100% of all of the campaigns rather than just a quarter, but it might be some technical limitations that they kind of uh, that they that they ran into that per, that they prevented them from doing that. That's just my opinion. I'm not sure what the case is.
0: Well, ex- interesting story, Stan. Thank you. So, hey, Karen, this, uh, this week it looks like you have an, an interesting story for us about uh, an attack on unsecured databases with an interesting name.
2: Yes, we can, although I'm a dog person, these are about meow attacks. Um, I think this is an interesting story and kind of like Stan is why is someone doing this? But actually what they, this is called meow attacks because Someone is going out there and replacing file names on databases, unsecured databases with a suffix that has meow at the end. And, and what they're doing is, is they're just wiping out all the data, All uh, they it, this is not a, a, a ransomware. This isn't uh, somebody asking for money and I'll give it back. They're just finding whatever um, unsecured databases they can and uh, meowing and wiping all of the database. Uh, this seems to be happening with uh, MongoDB and Elasticsearch. Uh, seems to be where most of the deletions are coming. When I first read the article, the number of attacks of databases that had been wiped was uh, 1,800, but uh, that was only a few days ago. The the article's been updated and we're closing in on about 4,000 databases. And uh, in a couple of cases, it seems like maybe somebody was warned early on um, to take some action, but uh, that doesn't seem to be the case in general, that just anything that's been found has been wiped. If you have a a database out there with data that you care about, which you presume most databases are, um, obviously, you know, these are all unsecured databases that are accessible um, to whoever's whoever's doing this. But uh, again, kind of like your story, Stan. uh, Motivation unclear. um, Certainly not as harmless as Hacker Man, um, but uh, also just uh, an interesting development that I just thought it would be interesting to talk about.
0: I think you're right. These are sort of similar similar themes to these stories. And, um, you know, again, you think down the road of like, What's the motivation behind this person doing this? And it's hard to understand. But you would guess that it's something like um, hard knocks lessons for for admins out there, um, or or development teams, whoever you know, whoever owns the database. But you know, certainly, I think this person is trying to make a point that you know, hey, these things are insecure; um, they shouldn't be out here. I'm not I'm not exactly, you know, behind the don't give anybody any warning about that that, that they're out there and just literally just go wipe them out. Um, and hopefully folks do have backups of this data. But if they don't, it's certainly going to be a hard lesson for those people to learn that, you know, hey, these things were open. Somebody got to them and uh, and unfortunately you lost everything.
1: No, I think. Uh... I think anyone who's been in security for a little while, especially in the incident response role, has learned that it's hard to convince system owners to clean up their stuff. So whoever is doing this must have, it must be like at the end of their rope, so to speak, and, and must have gone through that situation so many times that they're like, you know what? I'm not submitting a bug bounty. I'm not trying to figure out who the contacts are. I'm just going to wipe the database, and they'll know it's broken because the data is gone. Um, that would be the easiest way to explain the activity. Of course, you, don't, you hope it's not something uh, more nefarious than that. Uh, but it's definitely, I, I could see something like that happening.
0: I think I agree with you, Stan, that it's not hard to imagine that this could very possibly be a disgruntled bug bounty reporter. So, you know, just working through some of the processes of, of going and, and going to many different companies' bug bounty uh, programs and trying to submit bugs and either being told, like, that's not a bug, you know, uh, you know being, you know, or, or ignored, right? That's probably the worst is them just being ignored, you know, and ignored and ignored, you know, months over months. We've seen stories many times, like, where, you know, the reporter's trying to let them know for three, sometimes six months, and the company does nothing. And then finally that reporter just has to go, Okay, I'm just going to publicly release it then. Um, So I can imagine that this could be somebody who's just, you know, made a living of this and finally just got tired of it and said, you know what, I'm just going to teach everybody a lesson.
1: It certainly is a dangerous action to take for some data sets because you might be, uh, uh, you know, compromising like a hospital or something like that without realizing it or something critical.
0: All right, excellent. Thank you, Karen.
1: Hey, Manny, what story do you have for us today?
0: This is ProLock ransomware. So the same actors that were behind ProLock back in uh, late 2019 were the same actors that were behind uh, uh, PwnLocker. Um, So PwnLocker back then in in late 2019, uh, they had some problems with PwnLocker. So the... It, unfortunately, what ended up happening is the encryption key um, could be recovered from the actual malware. So, you would, you know, these were actually sent into companies, they would encrypt files, but what the security researchers ended up finding out is that within the actual malware, they had given the keys to decrypt the files. So, obviously, that was a major bust. Um, and then in uh, March of this year, The same actors created ProLock, so uh, PwnLocker turned into ProLock, and unfortunately, the bad actors still, you know, evolution of this sort of this particular piece of ransomware. The evolution is that we are now sitting here, and uh, and and the the version of ProLock, this new version, still has some issues. So it's this, it's these. Uh, these bad actors who are sort of playing around with this ransomware, trying to make it better, but still having issues. So this this latest one had an issue where even if you paid and you sent them the money, the decryption process a lot of times would actually corrupt your files. So this one actually got the attention of the FBI. The FBI actually sent out uh, an FBI flash back in, I think in March of this year, warning everybody that if hey if you've got you've gotten hit with this prolock that you have to be very careful even if you end up deciding that you need to pay for this that you may end up not getting all your files back because the the process of decrypting them may actually corrupt your files so Fast forward to sort of today, and today uh, this this version of uh, ProLock, the latest version of ProLock, well actually I think all all the versions of ProLock up to this point, one of the things that sort of distinguishes it from all the other pieces of ransomware that we've seen, well not all, I think we've seen some of this stuff, but what it does is it leaves the first 8 kilobytes of a file intact. So when it gets into your environment, it's actually looking to encrypt the file, but it actually leaves that first eight kilobytes of that file intact. Um, now, some of the reasoning behind why to leave eight kilobytes of, of a file intact, and, and by the way, if the file, isn't, if, if it, the file is less than eight kilobytes uh, long, it doesn't encrypt the file. So it leaves those alone. Um, but some of the reasons behind it were, at least the, the story states that it was to bypass encryption de- uh, detection tools um, so some tools that are out there to detect encryption may actually just look at that sort of first piece of the file and may be fooled because that first piece, that first 8 kilobytes of the file is actually not encrypted. So it actually may be, it may fool those detection tools. Um, and also file type ad- identification tools also w- would potentially be fooled by this. Um, the story also goes into saying that it would also give you a false sense of security if you don't see that a lot of your files have been um, ha- have been encrypted. But I tend to not sort of agree with that particular reasoning, because again, to give you a false sense of security isn't the purpose of here to scare the living daylights out of you into paying. So I'm not sure that I agree with the false sense of security. This particular one also has a, um, the executable itself is actually hidden in a, in, in a BMP image, um, and then they use a, 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 Power script, a PowerShell script to extract the code actually from that BMP, which is interesting. It's not the first time we've seen it, but the, the BMP that, they, that actually gets sent out is this black uh, box. And the only way that you can sort of tell that there's anything wrong with that black box is that in the upper right-hand corner, you do see some distortion of the pixels. Um, which kind of gives you a clue that there's something going on with that picture. Um, Now, um, and then some of the other things that this particular one does is it it uses uh, Windows functions uh, to call uh, for the, to look for running processes. um, And then it actually checks those running processes against a list that it knows, and so it actually goes and shuts down certain processes right? Based on known processes that would interfere with the encryption process. Um, and then the last thing that it actually does is it actually uses the, the, the net.exe um, command in Windows to, uh, to attempt to shut down about 150 different services um, associated with all kinds of uh, different enterprise apps, including you know, security. Um, uh, processes that may be running on the box. So we've seen that before, but you know, running it up against a, a list of about 150, looking for that is quite you know, unique to this. Um, and then it does things like you know, deleting the, the shadow copies of, uh, of local files, which you know, obviously will um, will make it much harder for a, a company to sort of um, get back their files if they think that they're safe with the shadow copies that are uh, stored locally. So. Um, You know, a lot of interesting things, I think, with this particular ransomware, so.
1: Well, I have a couple of things that came to mind as you were talking about it. So the first thing is you started with something happened in 2019 where some adversaries were using this one type of ransomware and they switched to another. So even as the ransomware gets detected and companies or security tools get better at detecting that specific piece of malware, The adversary's goal isn't stopped, you know. Until these people are kind of discovered and maybe brought to justice, they're actually going to continue doing this. They're going to continue finding other pieces of ransomware, and they're going to continue running that, or you know, or tweaking it, or doing all this other stuff because their appetite um, is kind of wet in a sense uh, since we're seeing the ransoms go so high. I think another. Friend that I think is very worrisome is when we talked about ransomware like five years ago, it was all like, hey, you know individual computers that you know you might be browsing the internet or you got something, and your individual computer got um, some kind of ransomware on it. But it seems like at least in the first half of this year, it seems like a lot of the ransomware campaigns are a lot more advanced now where they don't care about an individual computer, what they'll do is they'll actually determine if is this a home computer or is this like our like a corporate asset. And then they'll root around and, like you mentioned, they'll go and they'll disable security tools, they'll disable backups, and uh, really work kind of hard for a bigger payout or a bigger ransom um, where a company will probably not be able to say no to paying it so it's I feel like it's kind of troublesome uh, some of these latest trends, um, and uh, you know I hope that as more people who become victimized reported to you know law enforcement, that law enforcement agencies will be able to um, discover who's behind these campaigns and and hopefully bring those um, you know criminals to justice because uh, that might be the only way to stop something like this
0: that story talks about what ransomware or malware was at one point which was like massively destructive and then we went into like you said where ransomware was targeting the individual and so they were going after the individual and trying to get you know whatever the 500 or 1000 bucks out of the person because they didn't want to lose their pictures Um, but now you know again you're going after the companies and now you've got like sort of a mixture of the two you've got the destructive part of it because these these folks want to come in they want to Root around your network to figure out where, where are you doing stuff, where's your security, where are your backups, right? Where can I encrypt files where it's going to make the most sort of um, impact to your everyday business? Because if I do that, I'm more likely to get you to pay the ransom up. You know, when I, you know, once I launch this. So it's like it's like I go in there, I try to be as destructive as as possible, but I'm also holding the key so that as soon as you pay, I can sort of give you the key, you know, you can turn it and, and then sort of get back to business, right? Um, whereas before I think the destructive was, you know, hey, I'm just going in there, I'm gonna destroy everything, I'm gonna wipe stuff out and I don't care, right? It's just I make I'm making a point.
2: I think I think it's interesting though, because as you become more sophisticated um the idea is is that there's less people who can really do that if it was just somebody who was you know trying to you know like a kid and a, you know who could do a little bit and just break into their grandmother's computer it's a lot different than what they're talking about here and and so as this progresses and it becomes uh you know the defenses get better hopefully hopefully companies get better at protecting their own devices and their own networks and then it becomes, it's like an arms race, um, you would think that, that law enforcement, you'd hope, that, the, that it becomes narrower at the top of the pyramid to try to figure out who these guys really are, because as you've said, they've already learned what they've done wrong in the past and then they get better. This is not just, a, this, this is not a simple um, effort to, to, to do this um and i and i think that's an interesting trend as well I, I also thought it was interesting about them actually sneaking around and trying to find out about your insurance you know your <laughs> premiums or how much that yeah, because uh, I, I think that's it also it's much easier if you're in for insurance right it's uh yeah. it's a, a lot easier to just say yeah let them that's what i'm paying the premiums for you know no decision here yep. um so is the insurance a good trend or a bad trend, Um, you know, also. Because, of course, it makes it easier to pay because it's not really out of your pocket. Yeah,
1: Yeah. I think insurance is actually probably a good trend overall. And the reason is because maybe people don't understand security, but everyone understands money. Everyone understands money. (laughs) And with insurance, actually, I have a feeling premiums are going to go up because of all you know as the insurance companies pay out more for ransomware attacks the premiums are going to go up and the insurance companies they never want to lose money so they'll actually get better at auditing corporations or individuals or or the insured really um, to make sure that you know as in other insurance markets that they are as buttoned up as can be and they have the best um, uh, practices, uh, And they'll probably, I can see one day, maybe 10 to 20 years from now, where, you know, just like with cars now, you could put, like, a little device that lets the insurance company track how you're driving, I could totally see, like, 20 years from now, you got to run a little insurance agent on all your computers so they can tell exactly your posture at any given time so they can give you the best rate or, or you know, kind of bill you appropriately um uh, for for your insurance premiums, but as those premiums go up, the market forces will probably uh, you know play out a little bit and i I think in a way it'll force people to become more secure as they're trying to get insurance, uh, which I think is true pretty much like if you want to drive a car, you got to get insurance, so you're gonna do what you have to do you know to get insurance, uh whatever the requirements are, and I think the same can be said about. Um, cybersecurity insurance as well. Uh,
0: and I and I think Stan, you should probably patent that idea uh, to to uh, insurance companies.
1: Well, yeah. just remember, you yeah. heard it first on Threat Track. So. <laughs> with... <laughs> hey everyone, uh, Stan here, and I want to share with you this week's internet weather. Uh, so uh, earlier on Threat Track, you heard some interesting stories about um, ransomware and other threats. Uh, but this is how we measure uh, cyber threats uh, that have to do with exploitation activity um, and uh, port scanning traffic. So our top 10 most pro ports report it measures scanning activity against uh, a variety of UDP and TCP ports uh, that are intre- of interest, and it's measuring it by the volume of scanning that's happening on that port. So in looking at this week's list, um, there's actually not a lot of um, a change or movement from previous weeks. It seems like the top 10 ports are pretty well-rooted uh, week to week. Um, you know, Some ports jump in and out. Um, the two ports that I'd like to dive in a little bit deeper um, into this week are port 445-TCP, which is generally associated with SMB, um, and actually the Eternal Blue uh, exploit, um, and um, port 5555-TCP which is generally associated with the Android Debug Bridge or some devices, um, DVRs, I think, uh, that may have shipped with the uh, Android Debug Bridge port open uh, by default. Um, So let's dive right in here and see what the numbers look like. So looking at port 445 TCP activity, we've covered this many, many times on ThreatTrack. And uh, everyone's probably familiar uh, with this chart, which shows the number of devices participating in scanning activity on Port 445-TCP, which generally indicates um, how many devices might be infected, actually would want to cry. So this is about three years' worth of activity. And uh, early on, you could see sometime in 2017, uh, it was about uh, 30,000 devices per hour scanning. And actually, if you go and look maybe six months past that, uh, before that, You'll notice that uh, there was even less scanning activity, maybe somewhere in the order of five to ten thousand devices per hour, and it wasn't until uh, Eternal Blue exploit was released sometime in uh, 2017, uh, and WannaCry started spreading, uh, that the numbers started going and, and being this large. It is a little disheartening uh, that the amount of scanning activity, um, you know, has persisted. And this really does indicate the number of devices that are infected with WannaCry, and it's a, it's a, it basically a huge worm uh, that spread on the internet for, you could see now many years. Um, it's funny when I started my career, people were talking about like a, you know, SQL uh, like SQL slammer, like these different worms that predated my career in cybersecurity. But now I can look back and. And lament on how great it was when the scanning activity was only, uh, you know, 10,000 devices per hour. Um, there is a little bit. If you look in the past six months or so, here um, there is a little bit of a worrying trend as the number of devices that seem to be infected is trending upwards a little bit. Um, so we'll definitely keep an eye on that. Um, and uh, uh, you know, this chart just really shows you how once something becomes a worm it's really, really difficult to eradicate, unfortunately. And it could take many years uh, to get a, a handle on it. The other port that I thought was interesting is uh, port 5555 TCP, so 5555 TCP, which is commonly associated with um, Android debuggerage. But looking at about 30 days' worth of activity, you could see um, activity that's happening right now in terms of scanning volume uh, is about the same as it's been in the past 30 days. Um, And so the reason that it's appeared in our report now is it is more than the previous week. Uh, But the number of devices doing this um, has stayed pretty steady. Um, I was curious about it. So I took the last four hours of IP addresses that are doing scanning, and I wanted to find out where are these devices located uh, predominantly. And there was about 8,000 or so IP addresses that came back within the last few hours is doing scanning on this port. Um, You could see that the the scanning profile, or the device profile, uh, seems to be really heavy in the US, um, Brazil, other parts of South America, um, also lots of devices in Asia, Southeast Asia, and um, and Europe, uh, including, uh, I guess, uh, some parts of Northern Africa there and the Middle East. So uh, whatever these devices are, uh, or whatever botnet they're part of, uh, it it is pretty widely distributed. You don't see every country represented, though, uh, like you normally would. For example, uh, India uh, is almost completely um, unscathed, I guess, by by devices that are participating in this, Uh, whereas with some other threats, um, we do see that. So generally, this speaks to the type of device or the uh, proliferation of that device type in certain markets. Uh, or parts of the world
0: you know it's an interesting distribution of where this stuff is coming from you know the the hot spots here um, I, I I don't know what to make of the distribution but it, it it's always interesting to see where this traffic is actually sourcing from to perhaps give you a clue as to why it's coming from there but you know I don't know I you know I can't make heads or tails of why that is
1: So I'd also like to share uh, scanning activity, but this time from the most sources program perspective. And it's a very similar activity, um, uh, except this time measured for um, the number of devices uh, doing the scanning. And this usually helps us identify uh, either large botnets or worms that are participating in concert to do something together, and and in this case, um, scanning activity. So the port I'd like to concentrate on this week is 8291-TCP. This is something that we've covered before as well, uh, but I'd just like to give you an update on what the activity looks like today. So looking back at the last 30 days of uh, activity, I actually included a port that wasn't on the top 10, uh, 8728-TCP, as well as 8291-TCP uh, to showcase um, the scanning profile here. And as you look at the stack chart, you can actually see uh, that the activity on both ports happens in concert. And the reason for that is because both of these ports are associated with management interfaces on microtik routers. Um, and it appears that someone is looking for these devices um, pretty regularly. You could see earlier in the month, there was lots of devices doing scanning in concert. Uh, but more recently, uh, the activity has really trended down um, as to how many devices are doing it together all at the same time. Um, Now, what are are they looking for? We've covered this as well before on ThreatRack, but this is basically the uh, management interfaces for uh, microtig devices. And if you are able to successfully get the password or log into these interfaces, you'd actually be able to possibly upload firmware, change configurations of the microtig device, enable um, SH tunnels, and things of that nature, um, and a lot of adversaries actually like to use these devices as part of their compromised infrastructure to host other malware or to tunnel malware uh, from, you know, and anonymize uh, the traffic. So uh, it's definitely interesting to keep an eye on this. Um, and we've been monitoring it and we'll continue to do so. Unfortunately, this is one of the situations where really the, um, the, the users of the routers uh, have to uh, take care of how they deploy the routers. Right. But if there's anything that the manufacturers of any device can do in order to assist people in, you know, making it more secure out of the box, not exposing these interfaces by default and having to turn them on via some other mechanism, uh, I feel like that would be a good approach um, for solving problems like this. So that makes all for, them uh, change
2: their password a- as soon as they you know just simple simple things like that making it you, it doesn't start working until it uh you have a complex password changed or something you know those are the kinds of things we'd like to see right um right. Or in one general of those, from or, from manufacturers
1: so with that i'd like to conclude this week's internet weather report um thank you everyone uh and if there's uh, any of our viewers have ideas about um, activity that they'd like to see explored or understood better, uh, please go ahead and um, comment in the video below um, and we'll try to see if we can explore that topic.
0: The views expressed on at and track are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views
2: of at and or any other person or entity.